welcome to the Books We Loved, a podcast through the Troy Public Library. Today we are talking about Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus. Is that how you say her name? Bonnie Garmus? That's, That's how, how I would say it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's all agree on a pronunciation. And we're here with return guest, Cassandra from Adult Services. Hello, Cassandra. Hello. Hello. And brand new guest, Connie from Adult Services as well. Hello, Constance. Hi. Hello. <laughs> welcome. <laughs> Anybody who reads books probably knows about Lessons in Chemistry. It's a very, very popular book. It was published just a few years ago, but pretty much our adult services librarians can attest to the fact that people have been requesting it basically ever since, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah. Yes. It's one of those ones we see every once in a while. I think the last one I can think of is... Um, Where the crowd is. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. what I was going to say. Especially as they get turned into either a film adaptation or streaming, which... Lessons in Chemistry is doing on Apple Plus right now. Yeah, and we'll talk about that. They trick you because they let you watch that first episode for free. So I was all excited. I'm like, is this going to be like some free thing? No. I had to buy a month subscription to be able to watch episode two. It's how okay. they get you. They do. How they get you. They do. I have Still to cheaper say, than going to the movies. Yes, and this is this particular one makes worth it worth it. Worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so we'll talk a little bit about the book, uh, how we feel about the book. We'll talk a little bit about the adaptation, too. And then we have some tidbits about the author and just little factoids to share, too. So let's start with the book. Connie, did you, how did you feel about the book? When did you read it? I read it when it first came out because I had seen some buzz about it, and um, it just grabbed me immediately. It was... Um, in the first couple of pages, I thought this this is my book. I'm I'm all in, and I must have read it in a couple of days, which, with a lot of other things going on in life, is an accomplishment. Yeah, <laughs> pretty impressive. I loved it. You too, Cassie. Loved it. Uh, I read it because Connie told me to. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> happens sometimes. <laughs> and um, I also loved it. I think it was my first favorite chapter of a book I've ever read because it's um, a little different than you think it's going to be going in I think thanks to the cover art I think the cover mm-hmm. art's a little um misleading misleading mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's very light yeah. mm-hmm. yes I wouldn't call that a light book it's not a light book no, no. let's talk about the cover for a second so Amanda you researched this right Ooh. yeah do you want to share what you found on Goodreads first yeah so yeah, please do <laughs> that's actually way more interesting than what I was going to say do you, well I brought some show and tell while you're looking that up so okay. our viewers are not going to be able to see this at home but I would recommend viewers look up Lessons in Chemistry book covers from around the world, and you will see the United States cover is this kind of grody, <laughs> peachy Ugh. cover, which when I saw this, I, I did not pick this up because I thought it was a rom-com, and yeah. that's not my cup of tea, no judgment, but it has like this peach cover. You have um, the girl that's supposed to be Elizabeth Zott, who's our main character, does not look at all like you would think she would look once you start reading the book and she almost looks a little cheeky, which I don't appreciate Mm -hmm. because she's very straight shooter in the book. So it's almost like they made it a little sexy to draw certain Mm -hmm. readers in. Um, If you look at other covers from around the world, they show um, a woman from her torso down holding an old school TV set, which has who presumably would be Elizabeth Sott on the cover of the TV. Um, We've got some fun kind of like weird 50s, 60s style artwork on one from Estonia. The German one was very like German intense a little bit, (laughs) little, little formal compared to what we have. So Elizabeth would like that. She would actually, that was the one where I'm like, I mean, this is really her cover. It's the cover from my people. Yeah. So talk about the, um, uh, Olivia, talk about the uh, Goodreads 
comments from our author, would you? Because I thought they were pretty interesting. So I had seen something, some YouTuber I watched was talking about how the author disliked the cover. And so that kind of got in my head. I was like, oh, clearly she hates this, but I never like substantiated it. But then I went on Goodreads and it there is a comment on Goodreads. Someone asked, am I the only one who is furious about the pink chick lit rom-com cover on this book? It belittles the book in exactly the same way Elizabeth Zott is belittled. And Bonnie herself replied, and she said, I have to agree, and I'm the author. All I can say is the publisher did let me have input, and I told them I thought it looked like chiclet, nothing against chiclet, but the book isn't that. Still, publishers have a lot of experience knowing what an audience will respond to, and they thought this was the best way. They've been great to work with. We just didn't see eye to eye on this. You can Google other covers from the other nations and see if you think anyone else got it a little closer. I think Germany and the UK both did a nice job. I have hopes that this cover will change for the paperback. So she like fully hated it. Wow. And admits to it. Yeah. Go Bonnie. On Goodreads. I will say that if it got some people to read the book that might not Mm -hmm. otherwise, then I'm okay with that because I feel like I want as many women to read this and men as -hmm. possible. Um, So maybe it did sell some books Mm -hmm. and stir up some interest that wouldn't have been there otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that too. And it hasn't hurt it, clearly. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. I think actually, I mean, as librarians, we do see kind of trends in book covers. For a long time, it was those like really bright, patchworky kind of colors. Mm -hmm. And now it seems to be these kind of like illustrations. I don't even know what to call them. Like cartoon. cartoon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of the rom-coms right now do that, where it's like the drawn Mm -hmm. people that are going to be the stories. Yeah. Yeah. I will say that um, this is funny that I even thought this, but at one point I said it was like a sleeper because I read it when it oh. first came out because mm-hmm. Connie told me to. And um, people weren't asking for it as much as I thought mm-hmm. they should. And then I think it really took off after Barnes & Noble picked it for the best book of the year. And Good Morning America picked and it up too. Yes. So I think people were judging it by its cover yeah. a little bit maybe. Oh. I was just going to say, I think it's funny when you're a kid and everyone's like, at least my parents were always like, don't judge a book by it's cover get to figure people out but that's exactly what we do and I will admit that that is sometimes when I see certain book covers I'm like "Mm, I don't really think that one's for me yeah do you want to talk do you want to start by talking about Elizabeth as a character or do we want to just jump in and talk about the show versus the book and I haven't got to watch the show yet so that'll be on you you're gonna love it I will say that I was very apprehensive about watching it because Mm -hmm. I've seen some adaptations in recent memory that did not live up to the book uh, for me, even though there are some real differences between the book and the show. Mm -hmm. Every change made sense. The casting is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just, I love that they didn't use a bunch of famous actors because you can really disappear Mm -hmm. into the story and you're not thinking, you know, as Cassie and I were saying, there's Paul Giamatti or that's, (laughs) yeah. yeah. I mean, they are just the characters. Um, So I I was really, really relieved after the first two episodes to find that I loved the show as much as I loved the book based on two episodes. Cassie, do you feel the same way? Absolutely. And 630, I think, was the dog Mm -hmm. (laughs) was casted especially (laughs) wonderful. He's so sweet. Mm It's just how I pictured him. He was so cute. No, I loved it so far. The second, I just finished the second episode this morning and, um, I loved how they showed their romance. Mm-hmm. In that it episode. was it was like sweet and wholesome, oh, like it of its so time, mm-hmm. yes. but also kind of a little clunky and sort of awkward. Yes. But that's their personalities, yes, right? They're awkward they're these people. Very, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I will say, Amanda, um, if you feel like watching the first one over again with your husband, my mm-hmm. husband loved it. 
he asked me yesterday, when is, when is the next episode? (laughs) Which for him is, you know, for something like this, I thought was unusual. So he loved it. Yeah. Why do you think it's an important story? Um, For me, well, it was a very different world. I wasn't alive during that time, but just the, the way that women were treated in the workforce, they were seen as, she constantly gets called a secretary, right? Mm -hmm. And she's a scientist, she's a chemist. So the way that women were treated, and this is sort of uh, pre-women's liberation movement, movement. and so just sort of watching the degrading fashion that women were treated, but you also have this very strong character in Elizabeth Zott who is not willing to compromise. Um, She has a lot of um, self-respect, I feel like, and she, you know, through strange circumstances is able to kind of um, move into a different spotlight, which is this television show, Supper at Six, which the TV company has one idea of what it's going to be like. It's going to be this very wholesome woman teaching very simple recipes on um, for any woman that could do these at home. And then it becomes this very empowering show where she uses it as a tool to express that you're not just a cook, you're not just a wife or a mother, that you can be, you know, someone that actually takes the time to make things more unique and and learn the science behind cooking and feel empowered in your kitchen to not just be anything, but to be whatever you want to be. Um, So I don't know, that feels like pew, 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 but. Well, what really strikes me is that the theme of stay-at-home mothers or Mm -hmm. mothers, wives in general being undervalued and unappreciated and invisible, it's still an issue now. Yeah. I mean, this whole thing about the mental load and, yeah. um, you know, sharing the, sharing the work and, and who's responsible for what and why mm-hmm. are so many things just assumed to be the women's job. I yep. mean, that's we've come a long way, but in some ways we haven't and we still have a long way to go. And that's why, that's one reason I think this is important for mm-hmm. still. Yeah. For everyone to read because, yes, things have changed, but they haven't changed enough no, yet. No, absolutely not. not. There so, was a no. moment in the show this morning when I watched, and I'm sure this was probably a line from the book. I'm not sure, but I, I don't remember, where they're talking about having children, Elizabeth mm-hmm. and Calvin. And she says, I don't want to have children. And he says, oh, how come? She says, well, you can be a father and do anything else. I can either be, if I'm a mother, I can literally do nothing else. Yeah. And it really, um, I'm a mother of three, and it really, I mean, it's 2023, but I was kind of, kind of felt punched in the gut for a minute because it, it really is a daily struggle. And um, mm-hmm. I wish my husband had been here to hear that line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember reading it. something someone posted on Twitter. It was just a joke, but it was like the fact that there are men with two families shows how much. Like, there would never be a woman who just, like, had <laughs> no. two. Like, oh. like, one. <laughs> like how, how can you? Mama's leaving for a couple weeks. Yeah. <laughs> well, and something I liked in the book that I don't know if they're going to include it in the show. When So she gets pregnant, and she is not married. And she goes in, and in the book, they um, basically tell her she's going to be fired because she's an unwed mother. And she turns the tables on uh, her, the head of the executive of the company and says, so um, it takes two people to form this baby so if um this other person were here right now and would you fire him because he got me pregnant and he's like well no of course 
And she's like, well, then I don't understand why I'm supposed to be fired. It takes two people for this. So I just thought even that yeah. sort of. Mm-hmm. And he something. had no answer for that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Except he fired her anyway. Yeah. So I'll be curious to see how much of that they keep into in the storyline. So I want to insert a little uh, reading recommendation. Connie, did you tell me about this? Fair play? Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair play. Um, a game-changing solution for when you have too much to do and more life to live by Eve Rodsky. And this was published, what, like the last year or so, right? Uh, yeah, maybe? last couple of years, I think. And uh, it's a nonfiction book about, and it's this woman who, uh, a situation with her husband, sort of like with this sort of daily sort of irritating situation that a lot of women have to deal with with their husband happened, and it was just sort of like the last straw for her. So she went on this um, sort of research mission to kind of explore what you were talking about, Connie, about how things have changed since Elizabeth Zott days, but um, really also haven't. And sort of the insidious imbalance between like a husband and wife in, in any kind of domestic situation. And it's really interesting to read. There's like case studies and and just research that she's done, statistics and things like that. And really interesting for anyone to read. So I think that would be a good book to pair with Lessons in Chemistry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's even a fair play um, Instagram, you know, uh, where people share experiences and, you know, mm-hmm. am, I, am I wrong to feel so angry about this? Yeah. Or, you yeah. know, and you get a lot of support because so many people are in the exact same boat. Yeah. So, yeah, there's comfort in that. Yeah, there is. So maybe let's talk about Elizabeth a little bit. I think she's a rich and sort of interesting, like a singular kind of character. I don't think I've read it a book about anyone really like her. What do we want to talk about who she is and why she's a compelling character and why she's right for this story? Interesting. Well, I, I really felt that she's probably on the spectrum and, and Mm -hmm. so probably is Calvin and, 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 um, which, you know, it gives her great strength, but also hampers her ability to fit in socially Mm -hmm. and to relate to other women of the time and of her mm-hmm. age. One big difference between the book and the movie, and I don't think this is really a spoiler, but there is um, a beauty contest, <laughs> a little pageant at the lab where she works, which was not in the book, but it was a great it was a great way to illustrate what was important or what was thought to be important to women in that time and mm-hmm. how she just couldn't relate to it. She yeah. she participated under duress. She kind of felt that she had to. And Brie Larson is such a great actress. That her her look of misery is perfect. <laughs> her facial expressions Profound. throughout this whole movie, are, I'm sorry, TV show, are fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. She communicates so much with her face. She really does. So, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of times our, our strengths are also our weaknesses and mm-hmm. vice versa. But, you know, her intelligence is off the charts, um, mm-hmm. which is also, I think, hard for people, really, really brilliant people to relate, even if they're not on the spectrum. <laughs> yeah. Because they're just on another plane. Yeah. And they they sometimes don't get the details of yeah. life. Um, so... You have somebody who's really, really smart, but um, doesn't fit in. Also, didn't come from a family that supported her or mm-hmm. got her nurtured her at all. Right. Yeah. Um, she loses her brother at a very early age, and you know that forms her. But she's she is. I think I agree. She's a singular character because she's she. I can't think of anybody else like her. There have been mm-hmm. other characters on the spectrum, but nobody really like her. Yeah, and it, it what you were saying just made me think. 
I was reading some interviews with Bonnie Garmus, and she said the original version of this story had her as like a side character. And I, and yeah, as like, not the main character. And that sort of makes sense to me because I think a lot of times side characters are the ones that show the main character what's wrong with like the cultural norms. Mm. I think randomly of like, Belle's dad and Beauty and the Beast, like these sort of like odd characters, outliers, Outliers, yeah, yeah. and they show how Maurice, Maurice, they show how ridiculous, like, like all of these cultural norms that we Mm. accept to be like objective, true, like what's polite and not polite, what's right for a woman behaviorally and what's wrong. Why did, did they say why she switched her from being a side character to a main character? Well, so... Sorry, you may be leading to that, but I'm, like, dying to know. And like, who was the main character in yeah. that? Yeah, she didn't say. She huh. just said that um, she had been. So but the this doll. is an interesting story. So she was 64 years old when she wrote this book, and it's her debut novel. So it's her very first book That's she amazing. wrote at 64. Wow. I loved that. I had to go look at lists of, like, writers who've published their first. Frank McCourt was in his 60s. Laura mm-hmm. Ingalls Wilder was in her 50s. Wow. Where the credits in court. She yeah, she yeah. was an older yeah. debut oh. novelist for yeah. sure. Bram Stoker was older. Oh. And then the oldest recorded debut novelist was Lorna Page. She wrote A Dangerous Weakness when she was 93 years old. And Shut. she used the money to buy a house. Oh, <laughs> front door. oh my God. <laughs> Good for her. And she's like, you know what? I'm going to live forever. So I'm buying a house at 93 <laughs> and having bacon every day. It sounds wonderful. So that was a digression. But she, um, in the interview, Bonnie Garma said that uh, she went to a work meeting that went poorly and she was in a really crabby mood. And so she says, quote, I sat down and felt like Elizabeth was there with me and I began to write my first chapter. So maybe that's sort of what inspired her to bring Elizabeth. But it's, I think it's cool to have this sort of main character who's the one that is showing, because it's so awkward mm-hmm. to read someone who, especially the 50s, was such scene, like, in, I wasn't there, but in my imagination is a really claustrophobic time, especially for women, like the social norms were so rigid and... And I've known people like that. I think there's something really interesting about the fact that she's beautiful, too, which mm-hmm. is just really belabored in the book. It should be a strength for her, but she doesn't use it as a strength. She does, like, just does not react to it at all. It, she's yeah. also judged for it. Right. Yes. yes. Based on Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. In some ways, it opened doors for her, but in other ways, and I've known people like this who are socially uncomfortable, but really physically sort of conventionally beautiful, and they do just get so much uh, hate for it because people think that they're snobs when they're really just shy or socially uncomfortable but we're not used to seeing that in a Mm -hmm. character I love some of that in the book again you can only carry so much over into the tv shows but there's a little bit of that in the I think the first episode with the beauty pageant but I was again rereading parts of this and there's just the one um frask is it mrs frask Mm miss frask she works, she's like personnel at the um, company where they work. And she just like the comments, you get her thought process while Elizabeth is responding to her. And it's always like, oh, I just hate her so much. You know, she like yeah. has these lines where she's talking about Elizabeth and the way she's responding to her. And it's like so spiteful. Yes. And it's such a interesting kind of juxtaposition of what's going on. Like someone just that she loves just died. And you're thinking things like, oh, I hate her so much. And all these things. So, Olivia, uh-huh. the question you asked about her as a main character. So, this morning I was thinking about it and kind of preparation for today of trying to compare her to other strong characters I like in books. 
And I kept getting stuck on um, Joe March in Little Women. Joe March was so, I'm sure, so counterculture when that book came out, right? Because she's like this ultimate tomboy. But I feel like the disease of the Joe March characters of the literary world for me are always that you have to break that, you have to soften that side of yourself. Like she gets softened at the end. She, you know, she gets older and she starts to outgrow her boyish ways and she falls in love and all this stuff. And in some sense, as much as I love her character in those books, I'm always sad at the end that she's not the Joe March she was when she was the start of the book. And I think something that's really great about this book is she does not give up who she is the whole book. They don't soften her character. Mm -mm. She is the same person throughout the whole book and it becomes her strength, right? She starts to empower other women later in the book and Oh, that's why I feel like this book is so powerful too. Going back to what we were saying earlier about why do we, why is this book important? It's just, just to have a character that holds on to herself for the whole book to me was refreshing. I feel like a lot of women's characters still are written where it's like you gave in too easily yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> for lack of a better way to say it. She's so. very self-contained mm-hmm. and has a good sense of herself for sure. Cassie, as a parent, how did you think of her story as a mother? I think she was a good mother. Yeah. Right? Like, she wasn't prepared to be one. She had never wanted to be one. And I think she falls into her role pretty well, considering, without giving spoilers, what what is going on. Um, part of my favorite, and I know Connie's, one of my favorite storylines from the book is her relationship with her neighbor, Harriet, who is a mother, and it, it seems like it's going to be a little different from the show to the movie, but just equally as good in, in a different way. Um, she meets this woman across the street. Um, Elizabeth is just so alone as a mother, and she has no idea what she's doing, and this woman takes her under her wing and really guides her and helps her. her. Saves her. She saves her. Yes. It's just like a woman going out of her comfort zone to go help this other woman. It's just, that's a really beautiful storyline. I forgot about that character. Yeah. She she was one of my favorite characters. So good. The experience of reading that was just like such relief when that, Mm -hmm. when she finally intervenes and it's like, oh, thank God. Relief. She was just watching out of her window and I remember saying to Connie, I need a Harriet in my life. I almost feel like there should be like Every new mother needs a Harriet. And there are probably tons of Harriets out there just wishing that they mm-hmm. could, you mm-hmm. know, their experience could be useful to somebody. It's like, we need an app for that or something. We need like a... F- find a Harriet. Yeah. She's kind of a fairy godmother. Really. She is. Yeah. Can we just talk about how she's, I feel like they really improved her in the TV show. I don't feel like I've gotten to know her enough mm-hmm. yet to mm-hmm. have an opinion about that because I was so attached to Harriet in the book. Yes. That I'm a little sad that I think I've so had enough in the show. distance for <laughs> okay. me, but I like that she went from just kind of being this like... I almost felt like she was like this nosy neighbor, always kind of watching her. Yes. She has her own like little storyline. But she's she was the so attorney. down also yeah. with that loser husband. Yeah. Yes. I like that they made her this empowered woman in the yeah. TV show. Yes. I know it's a yes. totally different spin, but I like that mm-hmm. she's trying to, her thing is trying to better the area that they live in for the people in that area. I thought that was an interesting way of taking it. And I sort of liked it. Was there anything about the show that you aren't super crazy about? No, I loved everything. This I I wish so in the book six thirty the dog, mm-hmm. um, he he has dialogue he talks he thinks mm-hmm. but he talks you hear his you hear his you hear his thoughts yes. you hear his thoughts it's so good and he's always trying to 
save the little girl, save Elizabeth, you know, help her along. Um, that's his job, that's right? That's his job. He promised his dad. Yes. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So and he knows a thousand words. He's he knows a thousand <laughs> words. That's right. He's very smart. That's right. I, in, at one point in the book, she, uh, after Elizabeth has decimated her kitchen to become a lab, yeah. um, she says, 630, get that vent hood for me. He just comes <laughs> over and he gets it because he's so smart. <laughs> and I, I have no doubt he's dogs so could do a lot more than we expect. Have you seen that? Smart. I know it's on Instagram. These people are training their dogs to communicate with the touch pads. Buttons. Yes. No, thank you. This girl showed one where um, it was the middle of the night and the dog had woken her up and it kept pressing the one that said stranger <gasps> door. And I was like, did somebody voice over this to make me terrified? Because why would you have a talk button that says stranger? And I was like, nope, I would have to burn the house down. It's haunted demons. You can cut all of this, by the way. It's just tangential. <laughs> Going back to the dog talking, I am not a fan of animals having conversations a lot of times. And yeah, neither like, is Olivia, because I remember when she told me, I was kids, so upset. So funny. In kids I books, love it. I love it, too. In kids books, 100%. Charlotte's Web, yes, please, I'm there for all of it. But I'm thinking of The Art of Racing in the Rain, where yeah. it's the dog. I hated that book for that very reason. I know I was like the least popular person that I knew at that time when everyone's like, oh, it's the best book ever. And I was like, I hated this book. <laughs> but 630 is adorable. Somehow yeah. it just worked in this because it I think works. it also, that sort of ridiculousness of a dog knowing what, right. what the hood would be kind of balances some of the harder moments, mm-hmm. right? You yes. need that love. And you yes. do. And because she, yes. she doesn't, there's not once she's alone. There doesn't feel like there's this, it's like a want of affection almost. And to have this dog that's so loyal to you. And there's this moment in the book when she's pregnant where the dog comes up and keeps pushing his nose into her belly Mm -hmm. and trying to like communicate with the baby. That was so sweet to me and such a tender thing that did not make me, It like my gag reflex did not kick in at all. I was like, this is adorable. And it just worked in this book. Well, and he also had a backstory. Even he had a backstory. Everybody gets a backstory. I did like the scene in the movie, in the TV show where she goes out and he's in the trash and she's like, that's going to make you sick. Hold on just a minute. She goes back in the house and comes out with food (laughs) and puts it down. He just starts eating it. It was like this immediate, like, oh, you just know this is going to work. Can you talk about the food? The food to me was another character in the book. I think that's like one of the things in the very first chapter that grabbed me so much because Mm -hmm. she described her daughter's lunch and why the notes, the the notes she puts in there. But just the descriptions of the food made my mouth water and I thought I, the way she makes coffee and the way she uh, oh my yeah. gosh I she wanted to it eat and drink and everything she made <laughs> and of course it's a it brings her and Calvin together he you know they share lunch in the company cafeteria mm-hmm. that those scenes are adorable yes my so. only question was they're eating lasagna on one scene this is just logistics this is the way my brain works because I was a cook I'm like did she heat something and put of it in like one of those little did. warm thermos mm-hmm. containers mm-hmm. to keep it warm all day or are they eating cold lasagna because i can't get behind that she would that. never serve it cold but they didn't have microwaves never. at that time so she must have had like that a little like a they, had a lab. they could figure it out they had bunsen burners it is very sweet <laughs> i love all of that she's a good mom and i wanted to say that earlier mm-hmm. yeah. she never changes herself for her partner mm-hmm. her job or anything but she did change herself for her child and yeah. you know it was it was um you know I think mothers think they have to sacrifice everything, and that's part of why we feel guilty all the time and pulled in so many directions. But it is a it is part of being a mother that you you would give up everything for them, mm-hmm. and that's I think rounded out her character because she did things she didn't want to do yep. yeah. for that child. Yep. Um, 
like the TV show. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Like going back to the yes. lab when she yes. didn't want to, yes. and you know many things. So there was there was a lot of sacrifice, self sacrifice for her child. Yeah. yeah, for the person she actually maybe owed something to, rather than mm-hmm. all of these men and and other people in society who are asking her to do all this crazy stuff that just like it's so arbitrary too. Like even the distinction between her chemist work and her cooking and cleaning work at home. There is this dichotomy between those two things, like the you know the cooking and cleaning is women's work and that's at home, and then the chemistry is for men and that's in the lab, and even her making her kitchen into a lab is this very visual cue that chemistry, that cooking and cleaning this are type chemistry. Of chemistry. They're yeah. science, yes. They're science, hundred percent. Yeah, and and she treated her audience of her cooking show. <sighs> Like they were smart, yes, scientists in training, exactly, and yes. that, and they responded that way, um, and they mm-hmm. felt that finally they weren't invisible, and somebody treated them like adults, intelligent adults who could learn things and mm-hmm. and um, absorb complicated ideas, and uh, I, that w- that I thought was great too, the way the audience. Mm-hmm. just soaked it up and it, that gives you such a sense of time and place yeah. too. Yeah. Um, you know what a what a lack there was in that time of those kinds of resources for women mm-hmm. and um you know we say you know things haven't changed enough but they they have changed a lot and yeah. we have to also pay homage to the women yeah, who were yes. the who yes. were the ones who broke the mold broke the mold yeah broke yeah broke some of those glass ceilings well, and, and there is that moment in the show not to interrupt you connie where she's like you know name another woman you know who has reached this pinnacle mm-hmm. like you and i think his in science yeah yeah mm-hmm. and it was madame curie mm-hmm. that's the only one he could think yeah, of and it's like because nobody else. anything else we want to say about the show would you like me to share some facts about the 50s and 60s? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes. This was, this is from a CNN article called Five Things Women Couldn't Do in the 1960s by Katie McLaughlin. So, one, women couldn't get a credit card, which I think a lot of us know now. Um, women could not get credit cards on their own until 1974. What? The Equal Credit Opportunity oh my Act God. of 1974. Uh, made it illegal to refuse a credit card to a woman based on her gender. Um, number two was serve on a jury. Um, it wasn't until 1973 that women could serve on juries in all 50 states. All 50 what? states. So some juries, it was, or some states, it was as early as the 60s, but for all 50 states. So women did not have access to reproductive services like the pill until later in the 60s uh get an ivy league league education Mm -hmm. so um ivy league schools didn't start accepting women until 1969 at the earliest um experience equality in the workplace women in the 60s earned 59 cents to the dollar that every man earned and now it's what 60 65 is it? <laughs> it hasn't changed that much, folks. Oh, let's just let's keep that in mind. Um, 1964 Civil Rights Act uh, was going through Congress, and an amendment made it illegal to discriminate on the basis of gender as well as race at that time. So this is not straight across the board, but I thought this was also interesting. So the airline Pan Am had the following rules for their stewardesses in the 60s. You had to meet a certain height and weight requirement, which I did know about it. You had to resign if you got married. You had to maintain soft hands and face. 
You had to (laughs) mandatory... Isn't that just so bananas? With like lotion, Olivia. Yeah. I get it, it now. It puts the lotion on its skin. I'm like, that's I so creepy. you just had to walk around like a T-Rex. <laughs> <laughs> um, How do you serve coffee like right? that? How do you keep soft hands in some of those cold, cold places? Mandatory retirement age was 32 for Pan Am oh Airlines. Oh, my God. Because oh, you're, a dried up, you're a dried up old spinster that has nothing to contribute. Good grief. All of that ended when Title Seven of the Civil Rights Act prohibited these instances of discrimination. So that's, thank you guys so much. Yeah, thanks for finding Thank you. Honey, we've been looking forward to this for a very long time. Yeah. And Cassie. You can see why Cassie's a five Cassie's going to get, she's going to get a jacket. She's going to get um, (laughs) a golden, a golden headset. Thank you for listening to The Books We Loved, a podcast through the Troy Public Library. You can find more information about the books and library services we mentioned in the show on our website at troypl.org slash podcast. If you would like to suggest a topic for future discussion, please email us at podcast at troypl.org. Thank you for listening and happy reading.